0: my name is Bob Cochran this is the class on uh, loving your spouse loving your children loving your neighbor and we could go on and on loving loving your enemy loving the loving the world but I wanted to limit the title to a sort of workable limit so but we're loving loving everybody Anyway, our focus is on, uh, is on love, and we're working primarily from a couple of books that, uh, that have really meant a lot to me. One, dealing at a kind of a theoretical level with love, C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves. Another, Gary Chapman's uh, The Five Love Languages, which is an extremely practical book. And I think between the two... Uh, there's a there's a lot of good that uh, that we can learn. Last last period we began talking about God's love. Our focus was on a Hebrew word. Who can remember? Hopefully everybody can remember that word and re- will remember it for the rest of your lives. What was that word? Hesed. God's loyal love. Um, a word that I don't think gets as much play as the New Testament word that we're going to talk about today, but I think a word that's incredibly important in the marriage context, in the employment context, in a whole lot of contexts um, within our society where we're basically... American individualists. We're rugged individualists. We can make it on our own. We make contracts with other people, but uh, we don't necessarily make commitments to other people. Marriages, uh, you know, about half of them survive. Employers um, cut people off pretty quickly. Employees leave pretty quickly. Um, but anyway, there's. I think there's a great deal of wisdom that we talked about last time in loyalty. Uh, being an important aspect of of uh, love and life, and God serves as a wonderful role model um, for us. Today we're going to talk about um, the New Testament word for God's love, or the primary New Testament word for God's love, agape. Uh, so now when people ask you what languages you know, you can say, well, I know a little Hebrew, and I know a little Greek. Uh. <laughs> because you'll know at least one of one of each. Uh, we'll talk a bit about agape, and then we're also going to have an introduction to Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages. And we're gonna talk about some country western music along the way. yee um,
1: Well, you
0: know, Again, a little more on Hesed. hesed um is loyalty. Um, every marriage goes through difficult times, and they won't last if there's not a commitment to the marriage. Uh, at times, children will drive parents crazy. Uh, many parents drive their children, including their adult children, crazy. If there's not a commitment, many times families will become estranged. Um, but is loyalty enough? Uh, Gary Chapman, in his book that we'll get into at some depth a little bit bit later, uh, describes several marriages in which there's commitment, but there's no love that remains uh, beyond commitment. I guess one couple told Chapman, "We've been married for 30 years, but for the last 20 years, it seemed like we were just roommates." Um, and I mean, I think that's I think. Unfortunately, that may describe uh, some Christian marriages, who as a matter of Christian commitment stay together for long periods of time. But uh, you don't see a spark in, uh, in, in the relationships. One of the clients that Gary Chapman had was on his third marriage. Um, and his third marriage was, was falling apart. And he asked Chapman a haunting question. He said, you know, he, was, he, at this point, had just concluded that all marriages would, would, would basically grow stale after a few years. And uh, he says, and those couples that don't divorce, do they learn to live with the emptiness, or does love really stay alive in some marriages? Unfortunately, I think it's a matter of a lot of couples just learning to live with, uh, with the emptiness. So basically, loyalty by itself is, is not enough. I think loyalty is essential, and it's an important starting place for us to look at. Um, but we need to learn more about love. Um, whereas the focus in hesed is on God's loyalty toward us, the focus of agape is on God's service to us. Um, hesed focus on, at the human level, loyalty to one another, Hesed, the focus on service to one another. So agape, most of the verses that you can think of, probably that you've memorized about love, the the Greek word that's within them is um, agape. Uh, It's used of God's love for mankind in general, Uh, the one that probably... mm, most, uh, most Christians, most of the Christians in the world know, other than Jesus wept, which I guess also has aspect, <laughs> deals with aspects of love. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whomsoever m- would believe in him might have everlasting life. Um, God's love for us is great, it's a love that came at a great sacrifice. Um, C.S. Lewis says that he made us knowing that we would crucify him. He made us out of love knowing that we would crucify him. Um, And John 13, 34, and 35, a verse that many people know, or verses that many people know, um, shows that that love should be transferred to others. And I'll read those. This is Jesus talking. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Um, So God's love for us, his agape to us, should be reflected in our relationships with one another. Um, It's a love that It's a love that's illustrated in Jesus' washing the disciples' feet. It's illustrated in the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, It's illustrated in in the story of the prodigal son and the father welcoming um, him back. Notice that all of those are different um, sorts of relationships. Uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet and the command that you love one another is love within the the body of Christ. The the story of the Good Samaritan is a story of love of neighbor, of love of what's really a stranger. Uh, Jesus in that story is illustrating that the neighbor includes people we don't know, people that we might otherwise hate. And the story of the prodigal son is love within the family. And we see all of these links. Um, God loves us; we should love our family members. The prodigal son. Other, you know, husbands should love your wives, as Christ loved the church. That's within the family. Um, fellow Christians, um, our neighbor, and even enemies. Um, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount: um, You're to love your enemies. Professor Victor Furnish of Southern Methodist University said that agape, whether divine or human, is not like a heat-seeking missile prompted by something inherently warm or attractive in the target audience. For God so loved the world, all the world, that he gave his his only son. I don't know what the other analogy would be. Those bombs that just splatter everywhere <laughs> and take you know take out a whole bunch of uh, a bunch of folks. The um, there's an author that uh, that I've been re- found really helpful named Ben Worthington. I don't know if he's related to Cal Worthington or not, but <laughs> but anyway, I I've uh, I've linked on your. I've linked on your site there, a, uh, or on your paper, um, a citation that's a really helpful article if you'd like to read more about both Hesed and, and agape. It was helpful to me in preparing this. Um, from Hesed to agape, what's love got to do with it? And he says, this sort of love, referring to agape, has nothing to do with attractiveness or attraction. It's often bestowed on the unlovely, and the unloved. It's an expression of grace which means undeserved and unmerited benefit or favor bestowed on someone. In a world of reciprocity and you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours, such love seems to break the cycle of payback and reaches a person as a true gift, one that comes without strings attached. Probably the most well-developed um, description of this love and teaching A section on this love is in 1 Corinthians 13, and I've included that in your your handout. Um, It's introduced with the following verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not agape, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not agape, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not agape, I gain nothing. And obviously there I'm substituting the Greek word for our, our English word. Jack McGorman, who um, was one of my mother's favorite Bible teachers, and she, she uh, actually sent me uh, some things that he, um, that he wrote. And in this very room, um, uh, 25 years ago, <laughs> I shared this. So I hope those of you that were present then, you won't get bored if I share it again. <laughs> um, but Jack McGorman, um, who's a great Southern Baptist uh, Bible, Bible teacher, says that in fact, most of our English translations miss something that's important within the remainder of Romans 13. And that is that what Paul in Romans 13 uses are action words. He doesn't use adjectives that describe love, as in, you see the left hand column, love is patient, or agape is patient, agape is kind. Um, He uses action action words that emphasize, uh, you know, not just sort of a you know, a, a theoretical notion of what, what love is, but kind of what, but what love does. And so I'm going to read from the right hand column from uh, Jack McGorman's translation of Romans 13, and it'll be, it may be a bit fresh for us. And, I'm, and I'll make a comment or two as I go along um, about some things that I picked up from some other translations love suffers long and you can see that, I think you can see that that's maybe a little more powerful than love is patient, you're not describing some something at a theoretical level, you're talking about what it does love suffers long love acts kindly agape does not envy agape does not boast agape does not arrogate arrogate a word that maybe we're not that used to, to using. It means agape is not puffed up. It's not inflated with empty conceit. Agape does not behave rudely. Agape does not seek its own. Agape does not act irritably. The Phillips translation says it's not touchy. Agape does not keep accounts of evil. Um, and here, the Greek term that was used for accounts is an accounting term. We got a few accountants in here. Um, doesn't keep accounts of evil. I think about the, you know, probably the long books that uh, the Caleb keeps on various businesses, and you gotta keep track of every single penny. Well, love's not that way. Caleb may be that way, but as an accountant, anyway, he's that way. Um, And Stuart Calvert um, says, erase the accounts. Ask the Lord to walk with you back through your memories and erase the grudges and give you a forgiving spirit. Agape does not rejoice. That is, it doesn't share glee at wickedness, but it rejoices at truth. And rejoices at truth, another translation says, it's not empty-headed. It's not just an emotion. It identifies what's true and um, rejoices at that. Agape bears all things, believes all things. That is, it credits others with good intentions. It believes the best as long as it can. It hopes all things, endures all things, continuing even when rebuffed. Agape never fails. Um, It refuses to take failure as final. Worthington notes that this is one of the all-time wedding favorites, and you certainly recognized it as that. Um, He said, despite its popularity at weddings, 1 Corinthians 13 has nothing to do with marital love. It's rather Paul's instructions to all Christians on the more excellent way in which they should exercise their spiritual gift. I think he's right that um, agape is broader than marriage, but I think he's wrong when he says that it has nothing to do with marital love. I think it's got everything to do with (laughs) marital love. It's probably the most important aspect of marital love. And so, I mean, I think his sentence is emphasizing something else that we should look at it outside the marital context, but we certainly (laughs) should look at it inside the marital context. Um, Again, Worthington. It is sometimes difficult for a modern person, and I I think this is is an extremely important insight, though um, I'll qualify it a bit, but very important. It's sometimes difficult for a modern person who associates love with uncontrollable feelings to understand how the Bible can command love of God, neighbors, even enemies. But in the Bible, the terms translated as love, and here he's referring to agape and hesed, do not refer primarily to feelings. They refer to decisions of the will This voluntaristic notion of love is recalled in modern wedding ceremonies where the bride and groom say, I do and I will when they're asked to make their vows, not I feel like it. In the Bible, when God's people are called upon to love, they're not asked to do something loving and responsive to the love of God, whether they feel like it or not. I said that wrong. They are being asked to do something loving and responsive to the love of God whether they feel like it or not. And he gives us an example, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. But is it merely an act of the will? I think that emphasis is important. Um, you should love a person in the way that Agape mentions it, whether you feel like it or not. You should suffer long. You should act kindly, etc. But I think it's deeper than just your actions and, you know, in response to a set of rules that we might draw from 1 Corinthians 13. Um, Remember the first part of Corinthians 13 that that I quoted. He says, in part of it, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to flames but have not agape, I gain nothing. That to me suggests that it's more than just doing, doing the acts of love. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to, to the flames, I mean, I, I can't imagine any greater gift or surrender or sacrifice than that. But he's saying that's not necessarily love. If I do those things but I don't have agape, I gain nothing. So is Agape an action or an emotion? Well, I think it's both, and I think it or it should be both. If we don't feel love, we should still act as if we love. Hopefully, in time, we will come to love in the sense of developing a uh, an, an emotional attachment, emotional caring for uh, for, for others um, but I think it's I think until we have um, an emotional feeling towards somebody, um, we're not where we ought to be. And I think that this is um, maybe pulled together well in Dallas Willard's uh, discussion um, in the Divine Conspiracy one that uh, that some of us uh, discussed a few years ago. Um, and I think it comes as our heart is transformed, that is, the emotion, but then our actions much more freely flow out of a changed heart than it being just a mental thing. I need to act lovingly. Here's what Dallas says. As we spend time with Jesus, our lives are transformed, and we grow to love. We find that these things um, are actu- that these things, you know, for example, caring for our neighbors, etc., are after all actually being done by us. These things, these godly actions and behaviors are the result of indwelling love. We've become the kind of person who is patient, kind, free of jealousy, and so on. Jesus's commands, including the command that we love our enemy, are not hard if you have not been substantial are hard if you have not been substantially transformed in the depths of your being, in the intricacies of your thoughts, feelings, assurances, and dispositions in a way that you are permeated with love. Once that happens, then it's not hard. Well, um, a a wonderful thing to look forward to. most of us aren't there yet. <laughs> Hopefully, God will move in our hearts um, as we practice the kinds of disciplines that uh, that Dallas encourages us to practice, and as we learn to love those are, that are around us. Uh, C.S. Lewis says that within the within the family, you know, children are often irritating. From time to time, spouses are irritating. Not my spouse, but. <laughs> um, and C.S. Lewis makes the point that, you know, when, when that happens, you know, that's, that's a good thing. I mean, that's teaching you to love as you develop uh, patience in your reaction to those that are around you. And that love that you're being trained to exercise can be expanded to the church, the neighbor, the people around you, and to your enemies. Well, a couple of practical applications before we get to uh, discussing your homework assignment from last week. Um, first off, uh, you know how can you love your neighbor? Um, well, I actually have a website that uh, that is that I've uh, is included or mentioned on the very last page of your handout. Turn to the very last page of your handout. And this is, a, uh, this is a, an organization that uh, Jennifer Miller and Michael Rapping have been involved in getting our church involved with. The, the website is mentioned down, down below, actionvc.org. And it's a, um, a website that's been created by an organization in which our church participates, Whereas you can see, they've identified 150 projects, just local projects, um, where you know older folks need to have painting done, or need to have some work done in their in their yards. If your home Bible fellowship maybe could decide we're going to do a project, this is a place you can go, and you can find out. Uh, What's, uh, what's available. Um, Michael Rapping or uh, Jennifer Miller are good folks to talk about. They know more about this. So that's love of neighbor. Well, what about loving your enemy? Well, a lot's been made in the news recently about how our country is being swept with um, um, Islamophobia. I think that we should not consider Muslims to be our enemies, um, but unfortunately, increasingly, um, in our country, they perceive that we perceive them to be our, be our enemies. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I've got a suggestion, look around in your neighborhood, try and find the Muslim family that's there and have them over for dinner. Um, Again, I don't consider them to be their uh, their enemies. Um, I'm maybe going to learn a lot about that in two weeks. I just got an invitation this week to go to Juba, Sudan to uh, speak to a group of Muslims about the American experience with religious freedom. So uh, so that's, that's going to be interesting. I leave on a Monday and I return on a Saturday, and then I'm going to be speaking on Sunday here, so (laughs) if I doze (laughs) off during my own talk, you'll know why. But anyway, uh, a bit of practical application there. Well, I gave you all a question uh, last week to, uh, to, to think about. If you haven't done your homework, I think you can think about it a little bit right now and generate some discussion with it within your table. Uh, that question is: assume that Bob wants to follow Jesus' golden rule, which says, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that, of course, is a, uh, is a practical means or intended to be a practical means of determining what agape would be. Bob loves Irish food, Andy loves Mexican food. Bob is going to take Andy to lunch. Which type of restaurant should Bob pick? If if your answer is Mexican, how does that fit with the golden rule? Anyway, we'll let you all discuss that uh, at your tables. Um, And if you're not at a table, you need to come over and get at a table. Come on, come on. Anyway, go ahead and uh, and, and, and begin the uh, begin your discussion, and then we'll we'll see what your tables come up with. Okay, no joking around that table over there. Let's get down to business. Okay, I'll uh, have one more minute to discuss. Okay, two more minutes. Okay, let's go ahead and cut off the uh, the discussion at that point, and we'll try and figure this puzzle or what I think is a puzzle out. Um, and by the way, when you uh, when your table when you f- from your table speak up, speak up nice and loud. We're um, going to be broadcasting this on the internet. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Now you now you are going to be nervous, or or now Bill Heatley's going to grab the mic. And... Yes. <laughs> Okay. Um, well, I mean, it, it seems to me just to kick off our discussion that there's a bit of a puzzle here. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Um, Bob would on- want Irish food. If he's going to treat Andy as he would want Andy to treat him, does that mean they go get Irish food? You're shaking your head no, Sandy. Well. You- nice and loud.
2: <laughs> um,
3: you know, you you try to be thoughtful about the other person and what what are their likes and um, you, I don't think I don't think most people hopefully don't think about well if I do this for this person would they do what I like for them I mean it's not a you know payback type thing mm-hmm. but. Um, do. You, try to, um, you try to do something special for the other person, which would be what their likes would be.
0: So I wonder if Jesus worded this wrong. I and mean, should it be, do to others as they would want you to do to them? Maybe so. Or can we take, uh, I don't know, anybody else want to well, react you, to that? if
3: you take it not in the restaurant term or, or in giving something to somebody, um, if you just take it in um, loving, being loving to another person, it, um, uh, do unto others, in other words, love other people, because you would want them to be loving to you, mm-hmm. to be kind to you. Um, If we treat people with meanness, we're probably going to get meanness back.
0: Okay, good. I mean, I I think the way Sandy expressed it there is the way that we should understand it. I mean, what do we want others to do to us? We want them to be loving to us. We want them to be interested in where we would want to go. To, to a restaurant. I mean the, the we need to think about this command at a at a certain level of generality. I mean what would, would we want? We'd want them to be concerned with our interests. Um, we would want our desires to be respected. And if we want them to respect our desires, we should respect their desires. And if we think of it in those terms then we're gonna take Andy to the Mexican restaurant um, because we're thinking about what his desires would be just as we would want him to be thinking about what our desires would be. I think this is very important in the marriage context um, because a lot of times we'll assume that expressing love to our spouse that love should be expressed toward our spouse in the way that we would want our spouse to express love to us. But we need to think about it in terms of we would want our spouse to respect our desires and we need to respect our our spouse's desires. Our spouse's desires may be different from ours. Um, Sandy, another comment or question? Okay, Um, any other other comments on this? Oh, I know what I was
3: going to say. Okay. I I don't think that you, in giving kindness, love, whatever, to somebody else, you need to, in the back of your mind, be thinking. I, I don't think you do it for a reason. I mean, you just do it because Hopefully, we have love in our hearts, and we want to treat other people with kindness, respect, love. Um, so I don't think, you know, just because I meet somebody on the street corner and I treat them kindly, I don't think that I'm sitting there thinking, "Well, I want this person to treat me this way back." It's just I don't. I just don't think you you think about that really.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, and that's the that's one of the aspects of agape that's special about it. I mean, and it's a distinction between agape and a lot of the types of love that uh, that maybe we see expressed around us. It's more sort of a payback. I scratch your back, you sh- you scratch mine. The in um, agape is serving someone without expect expecting them to uh, to serve you back, uh, Jesus, in this one great uh, section, says, "When you throw a dinner party, invite people that aren't your friends. <laughs> invite people that you're not you don't expect to invite you back. Well, you know we're probably not there yet, <laughs> most of us you uh, you sort of invite people that are your friends and are probably going to invite you back? You know that's kind of the you know, that's kind of the way things uh, tend tend to work. Jesus turns that upside down. Well, that's a lead-in for us to Gary Chapman's the Five Love Languages, because what he's suggesting here is that each of us has a way that we express love. And that's probably the same way that we receive love, but it can be very different um, from person to person. And what you need to do uh, in a marriage or in other types of relationships, friendships, relationships with your children, is to try and be sensitive to um, the way that your friend or your spouse or your children receives love and this will take some work on your part because our natural inclination is to think that people receive love in the same way that we receive love. Um, learn to love others in the way that they want and need to be loved. Um, love them in the way that they understand. Um, Again, this I think is a reflection of agape love, love that focuses on the needs of the other person. I think, by the way, that this book is special, that is the Five Love Languages book. Um, other books and marriage teachers assume that there's only one way, one love language. Um, I've seen seminars and, that focus on communication in marriage and say that's the key. To, uh, to a good marriage. Others focus on romantic love, and that's the key to a, uh, to a good marriage. There's one radio talk show psychologist who seems that, assumes that at least for men, there's only one way to convey love, <laughs> that's sexual, sexual love, and that's all that's necessary. I think all of these theses are correct to some people, but not to all people and that the bigger picture is learning that we're different, we receive love differently, we give love differently. Gary Chapman's thesis is that each of us has a primary means of giving and receiving love, just as each of us has a primary language, English in this room, that we use to give and receive information. Generally, people both give and receive love in the same language. If we fail to understand a person's love language or if they fail to understand our languages, there will be big communication problems. People respect the fact, people from other countries who speak other languages, respect the fact that you try and speak their language. And I think it's important that we respect the fact that others are trying to speak our language, even if they don't do it so well. <laughs> um, in Rwanda, where I was this summer, we were taught to begin our talks with a few Rwandan phrases. Um, and we, when we did, they would just, you know, their faces would just lighten up that we knew their language, even though we didn't really even know what we were saying <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> um, but it was a great affirmation to them. Um, in France, where people are a bit nastier, <laughs> the, by, by the way, those those of you that uh, that were weren't in the first service, the French already got pounded on <laughs> once today. But anyway, in France, where people are a bit nastier, maybe I don't. They go so far as to refuse to deal with Americans who do not try to speak French. Um, if you try to speak French, they'll give you a help, you know, give you help uh, generally, or sometimes, Sandy's saying not always. Anyway, if we're to, to communicate effectively across cultural lines, we must learn the language of those with whom we wish to communicate. We must be willing to l- learn our spouse's primary love language if it's in the, the, the marriage context. Um, it's important to learn our children's love languages uh, they have a primary love language as well and you need to express your love to them in that that way and learn to appreciate it when they express their love to you in their way and I think it applies to friendships it applies to employer employee relationships if you have a, um, a secretary who um, Really uh, appreciates affirmative um, encouragement, um, you know, you need to be sensitive to that. A kind word from you can make his or her day, his or her week. Um, Don't expect that the other person will intuitively know what your love language is. I think, in particular, maybe a lot of wives especially believes that their husband should intuitively know their love languages and what what they want. Um, Here's a special word to wives. Expect that your husband will not know your love language. Indeed, expect that your husband will not know anything about love. (laughs) Tell him what gives you pleasure. Um, I love it when you do so-and-so. And while I'm at it, I'm going to just give you a lesson in life. And that is that the secret of happiness generally is to have very, very low expectations.
1: <laughs>
0: if you have very low expectations, you will often be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> Someday I'm going to put these you know, insights that I've gained over my fifty eight years down, but anyway, there's one of them um, people have different love languages. My grandmother um, was great in many respects, and I remember one time she was she was telling me that she had a boyfriend she by the way was absolutely gorgeous when she was young. Um, I saw pictures pictures of her, and so I can imagine a young suitor falling in love with her and he gave her a dozen roses well. My grandmother's reaction 50 years later was, why did he waste all that money on roses? Well, of course, some women would have just been, you know, knocked over by that. Um, She thought it was silly, and I can just sort of imagine how crestfallen he was. I don't know that my grandfather ever gave her a gift. (laughs) I don't think it mattered to her. Before we get into the five love languages, um, Gary Chapman addresses the question of being in love. And Gary Chapman's not much of a romantic. Um, He says that we all have an emotional need for love, um, and that most marriages begin when couples are, quote, in love. He always uses the quotes. He says, the in love experience is a quick fix for the emotional need for love, but it has a limited and predictable lifespan. At its peak, it's euphoric. We're emotionally obsessed with each other. We could kiss for hours. We have the illusion that our love is perfect. The average lifespan of a romantic obsession, though, is two years. as I was doing that calculation, I figured that's about how long it takes people to court, get married, and then have children, and that's it. <laughs> anyway, that's what he says. He says, if people remained obsessed, we'd all be in trouble. Shockwaves would rumble through business, industry, church, education, and the rest of society. Why? Because people are, who are, quote, in love, lose interest in other, other pursuits. Uh, grades take a nosedive, nose job performance <laughs> goes out the window. And the problem within a marriage, he says, is that when people fall out of love, either they withdraw, separate, divorce, and set off in search of a new love experience, or they begin the hard work of learning to love each other without the euphoria of the in-love obsession. Um, And he says even those that go elsewhere, then generally that doesn't work. The divorce rate for second marriages is 60%. Um, He says we should pursue real love. And as I mentioned, he says there are five different ways of expressing that love. In the coming weeks, we're going to go into a, a bit of depth about the practical ways to express love in these languages, but I thought I would just do um, a a short introduction to uh, them today. I've I've listed them on the board. And they are um, first words of affirmation. Um, Mark Twain says, I can live for two months on a good compliment. He's somebody for whom, obviously, words of affirmation are are important. As I mentioned earlier, uh, your your secretary may be uh, maybe someone someone like that. Uh, Gary Chapman gives some examples of words of affirmation. You look sharp in that suit. Do you ever look hot in that dress? Wow. <laughs> and here's, here's one here's his third, these are the three examples he gives I really like how you're always on time to pick me up at work now that's a great pickup line <laughs> um, but I think his examples show the sort of you know, very down to earth nature of the kind of appreciation that needs to, need to be expressed Um, Two, quality time. Quality time is time not just spent together, but time spent together when you can interact with one another. Um, Taking a walk together, uh, going out to eat, um, um, sharing your experiences, thoughts, feelings, and, uh, and desires. Um... Three. Uh, receiving gifts. Um, gifts are visual symbols of, of, uh, of love and these are more important. Again, my emphasis here is that these may be your spouse's uh, love languages or your friend's love languages or your children's love languages. They may not be but gifts can be incredibly important to some people. They'll, uh, they'll treasure, treasure them. Um, four. Acts of service, uh, just very simple acts of service, taking the trash out, um, helping to uh, to clean up. I th- I think, I think maybe um, a lot of people who work and bring home a paycheck perceive their work to be an act of service to their their family, um, and s- sometimes. Um, Sometimes that's not appreciated as such, but some people see that as an act of love. And then number five, physical touch. The, uh, the author, um, as I've read the book, Gary Chapman, um, at times, it seems to me that he's sort of ambiguous about the relationship between sexual re- relationships um, and physical, physical touch. Um, I think actually that physical touch probably needs to be broken down into two categories, and I've done so on the board. Um, physical touch can be a, a, shine, a sign of affection with, with someone. I think for some people that's the means or a means where they, whereby they give and receive love. Physical touch can also be expressed. Um, in, a, in a sexual manner, I think for other people, uh, that is a, is a means of giving and, uh, and receiving love. Well, that's kind of a brief overview of, uh, of the five love languages. Now let's walk through a, a few hypos. I'm going to just mention a few to you, and then I'll let you at the tables um, discuss a few of them. Um, Let's do the first one and it's written on your sheet. Um, Here's a family and the question is what's the problem here? I want you to as we talk about each of these examples identify who the, um, what, what, what the love languages are and what love language might tell us about these. Here's a husband and he's talking to Gary Chapman and here's what he says. After the wedding, I don't think I changed. I continued to express love to her as I had before the marriage. I told her how beautiful she was. I told her how much I loved her. I told her how proud I was to be her husband. But a few months after the marriage, she started complaining about petty things at first, like not taking out the garbage or not hanging up my clothes. Um... What's the, what's the problem here?
2: Her uh, love language would be probably acts of service where
0: he's trying to give her the praise, the words of affirmation. and He may be words of affirmation. Maybe that's what he wants, trying to love her that way. But she's not feeling loved. She likes it, I'm sure, but that doesn't fill her up. And so is the, is the lesson here that husbands should try and love their wives by doing acts of service rather than words of affirmation? You know, I think in this case, relationships are different. In
2: this case, it, it's specifically to his wife that she, words of affirmation are not doing it. So he needs to, with these acts of service, picking up his clothes, taking out the trash, he needs to do those in terms of acts of service to her and loving her in that
0: way. Okay, good. Um, you know, as I, as I was reading through these different types of love languages, it occurred to me you don't have very many country-western songs or songs generally that are written about these means of expressing love. Um, but then I started thinking about it and I think actually there's a lot of there's a lot of truth to be mined in country western songs about the this uh, and even sort of old rock and roll songs. I've got have got the words to a few of them there. Let's let's as a let's let me throw one of them, one of them out to you and this is Elvis's song, a little less conversation and a little more action. And if I could sing better I'd sing it to you. A little less conversation, a little more action, please. All this aggravation ain't satisfactioning me. A little more bite and a little less bark, a little less fight and a little more spark. Close your mouth and open up your heart and baby satisfy me. Satisfy me, baby. There's obviously some tensions going on in that relationship. <laughs> What's the problem?
3: <laughs> it's
0: <a> great lyrics. <laughs> great lyrics. Even created a word satisfactioning me. I don't I don't know what it is. It's all about
3: though. me. Me, me, me. What I
2: want.
0: Okay. His focus is all on me. Maybe that's it?
2: Uh, definitely physical.
0: Okay. <laughs> his love language is physical, right? Maybe that's one explanation of it. I don't. I don't know. Or maybe it's just pure selfishness on his part. But our songs sort of, I think, express what's going on in some some people's hearts. Um, a little later on, you'll see that maybe uh, when we look at Reba McIntyre's song, maybe she's uh, she was married to an Elvis. The other two songs that uh, that are here, Bucky Cunningham's A Father's Love and Reba McIntyre's Consider Me Gone, I'd like you to discuss them at your tables. And the question I want to ask is, you know, what do the five love languages that we've discussed, what do they tell us about the... The conflict or the problems that, uh, that might be going on here. So discuss them at table for a little bit. Uh, we'll give you a, a, a little bit longer, maybe five or six minutes to discuss these, and then we'll discuss them as a group. Maybe everybody could, re- maybe this is what you're doing, read A Father's Love, discuss it, and then I'll cut you off after a while, and you can do Reba McIntyre's song. And here the words to the Bucky Cunningham song, A Father's Love. For the longest time, I guess he didn't give a damn. Hard to read, hard to please, yeah, that was my old man. On the day I left for college, it was nothing new. He never had that heart-to-heart, he had too much to do. He checked the air in my tires, the belts and all the spark plug wires, said, when the hell's the last time you had this oil changed? And as I pulled out the drive, he said, be sure and call your mom sometime. And I didn't hear it then, but I hear it now. He was saying, I love you. He was saying, I love you the only way he knew how. 120,000 miles, six years down the road, a brand new life and a brand new wife. We just bought our first home, When he finally came to visit, I thought he'd be so proud. He never said he liked the place. He just got his tool belt out and put new locks on the doors, went back and forth to the hardware store, said, come and hold this flashlight, as he crawled beneath the sink. And these old wires ain't up to code, and that circuit box is going to overload. And I didn't hear it then, but I hear it now. He was saying, I love you, the only way he knew how. Last Sunday, we all gathered for his 65th birthday, and I knew he'd stiffen up, but I hugged him anyway.
1: For the longest time, I guess I thought he didn't give a damn. Hard to read, hard to please, and yet that was my old man. On the day I left for college, it was nothing new. We never had that heart-to-heart, he had too much to do. He checked the air in my tires, the belts and all the spark plug wires. Said when the hell's the last time you had this oil changed? And as I pulled out the drive, he said, be sure and call your mom sometime. And I didn't hear it then, but I hear it now. He was saying, I know. 20,000 miles. Six years down the road, a brand new life and a brand new wife. we even just bought our first home. When he finally came to visit, I thought he'd be so proud. He never said he liked the place. He just got his tool belt out and put new locks on the doors. Went back and forth to the hardware store. Said, "Come and hold this flashlight." crawl beneath the sand and these old wires ain't of the code and that circuit box is going to overload and i didn't hear it then but i hear it now he was saying i love you the only way he knew how last Sunday we all gathered for his 65th birthday and i knew he still But I hugged him anyway. When it was finally time to say goodbye, I knew what was next. Just like he always does right before we left. He checked the air in my tires, the belts, and all the spark plug wires. Said, When the hell's the last time you had this oil changed? And as I pulled out the drive, said be sure and call your mom sometime and i didn't hear it then but i hear it now he was saying i love you he was saying i love
0: Let's uh, let's let's actually cut off the the discussion. I, I assume everybody's still on the first song because it's got a lot uh, lot to to work with. This song, the uh, the one about the uh, the father who who picks, fixes everything. What's going on here? First, we have a question. What's the gender of Bucky? Man. The singer's a man. It's a son talking about a father, but I think it could be, could be either. And I say it's a son only because the singers, a, 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 a male my uh, table, assumed that it was a, a woman as well. But I think it could be either. Well,
2: it says a brand-new
3: life and a brand-new <laughs> wife. Okay. Hey, look,
0: it's California.
2: <laughs>
0: so we'll assume it's a son. What's the... Uh, What's the father's love language? Or, or, or let's put it this way: Does the father love the son? Yes. Yeah. Um, what's his love language? Service. Okay, it's service. I mean, he's got his tool belt on, and he thinks he's expressing love towards his son. and his son at least I gather, maybe the son had just read the five love languages and, and realized this. It doesn't seem that during his life he understood the father to have been conveying love to him but but now he does um, what's the um what's the son's love language oh, physical okay one says physical why do you say physical bill Because he, he hugs him okay yeah he doesn't, if he, doesn't mow his lawn he <laughs> hugs him. Yeah, at the end of the song, we've got this great line. <clears throat> Last Sunday, we all gathered for his sixty-fifth birthday, and I knew he'd stiffen up, but I hugged him anyway. We get a little hint that the son, you know, longed for that physical touch from his father, and he's going to force his dad to get into it now. But I think I think maybe there's another sense of another love language that's here. First, What's that? First
1: paragraph, he says, "We never had a heart-to-heart."
0: Okay, good, we never had a heart-to-heart, and that's, you know, that kind of confirmation, conversation. Quality time, right.
2: There were good time.
0: Quality time. Um,
2: one, of the, one of the things that I think it, that we talked about was one, it was brought up that uh, it, whatever the love language was, nothing was reciprocal at any time from the sun. You know, if if we're looking at this as okay, this is how our lives our lives were, is that we don't see and hear the son actually loving back in any way until you know he says, "I never got the heart to heart," or at the end, I I finally gave him a hug. It took that long for the son to even express his love or how he what his love language was. And then these two brought up another point that I'm going to let them speak. Uh, well, I guess to, to pull the two together is that some of some of these things um, uh, are sometimes two people's gifts can be her uh, love languages can be kind of reciprocal and work together. Um, for example, Brent was saying that with his uh, wife, you know, that she liked touch and that he liked acts of service. And so he could engage in an act of service by rubbing her feet or rubbing her neck. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Natalie and I, we have similar that she likes touch and she likes... Words of affirmation, and I like quality time. Well, you can spend quality time together, touching and affirming one another. So, so some it, it, they don't always have to clash like they do mm-hmm. in this song. You can actually, once you learn what you need to be, you know what you need to be doing, make things mesh so that you're actually both enjoying the process of serving the other person.
0: Mm-hmm. Good, good. Um, to the to the point about the son not expressing love to the father of course a lot of times you learn to express love from your parents and so you know he's in he's in a sense it sounds sounds like in later life developed a certain insight that he that really wasn't conveyed to him by his uh, his his folks um, he's learned that they love him and, and maybe the, la- the last line indicates he's learned his love language and he's going to share that with his dad. Maybe the next step is he needs to do something for his dad because the way, the, the way that we give love is typically also the way we receive love and we need to look at the way that our um, friends and spouses and children are showing love to, to others. And then that's likely to be the way that they would they they would um, re- receive love. And just one uh, one other line here is when he gets when the son gets the house, he says, "I thought he'd be so proud." Um, he never said he liked the place. He just got out his tool belt, you know. But the uh, but I think the I thought he I thought he'd say that he was pr- proud indicates that words of affirmation, I think, are another of this guy's love love languages. And uh, Gary Chapman isn't saying that everybody has just one love language. It's t- typically, you'll have a couple that are stronger uh, stronger than the, the other. Um, we've got the Reuben McIntyre song. Should we discuss it, or do you want to discuss it in the beginning of next week? They've just let. Actually, they've just let out, and they've got to prepare the room for, um, for a for a lunch. So why don't we, as an act of service to them, <laughs> cut. You know, we could set up the lunch. Actually, actually, why don't we do that? I, I think the table tablecloths. Maybe you could spread them out at, at the tables um, as an act of service. <laughs> so we've learned something. But let me. <clears throat> Let me just close this in prayer and, and y'all can uh, think about Reba McIntyre over the, over the course of... We actually have another bit of homework. Um, we've got a test for, e- for each of you. The test was, was taken out of a love languages book that was designed for married couples. And so it's focused on husbands and wives. We're not all married um, within, within this group, but I think the ones that are for husbands... Uh, can be sort of translated if you uh, if you take a look at it, um, see Denise, do we have those why don 't we hand them out and this This is a test that 'll take you about five minutes to do or ten minutes maybe and um, it 's designed to identify what your love language is, and so do those over the course of the uh, the week and we can talk about them and we 'll also talk a little bit about Reba McIntyre and uh, what 's what's going on with uh, with her relationship here. Um, but let, let me close us in a word of prayer. Uh, dear Father, thank you for our time together. Uh, we pray that as we think about the people in our lives, our uh, spouses, children, friends, acquaintances, neighbors, and even our enemies, that uh, you'd show ways in which we might be loving to them as we try and follow you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
2: Oh,